Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. Dr. Justin Hillhouse joins us again today as we conclude our series over the doctrines. We're going to be pulling from Genesis chapter 1, 25 through 28 as we go over the doctrine of man. Now, let's hear from Dr. Hillhouse. If you have your copy of God's Word, open it up, turn it on. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to kind of hang right around there in verses 25 through 28. Genesis 1, uh, that's the first book of the Bible, and we'll be in verses 25 through 28. And then we're going to jump around a little bit, but uh, we'll also go over to Genesis 3 as well. But if you're joining us for the first time, we are in a series currently called Knowledge is Power, the Five Doctrines Every Man Should Know. And as we've been going through here, the first three weeks, we talked about the Trinity. We talked about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we talked about the importance of knowing these three doctrines and knowing the doctrine of the Trinity because it is the foundation of everything that we believe. Everything that we believe stems from those three doctrines, the doctrine of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And today we're talking about uh, the, the fourth doctrine that every man should know, and it is the doctrine of man, or what's known as anthropology. And this talks about where we come from, okay? It talks about where we come from, how we are made, and it is important for us to understand this today because there are a lot of people out there that are suffering from an identity crisis. Are y'all with me on that? Okay, y'all understand what I'm talking about? There are a lot of people out there suffering from an identity crisis, and it is because they don't know their origin. They don't know where they actually came from, and so we're going to kind of dive into that a little bit. And so we're going to take a hard look at the subject of man and his origin and his nature. That is what the doctrine of man discusses. It talks about man's origin and it also talks about his nature. And so while we are on this topic, we are not going to discuss issues like racism or sexuality, but I would like to state that from this doctrine, we get, uh, uh, we get and we understand from this doctrine how racism is wrong. We get and understand where our sexuality is and where it is defined from a biblical perspective. And in short, if I can go ahead and just address this concerning racism and sexuality, first of all, there is only one race. It is the human race. There are only two genders, male and female, and God does not make mistakes. So let's just kind of start there, okay? And as you kind of progress and as you open up God's Word and you begin to see where we come from and our nature, these things begin to come more in to light. And so for the purposes of time, we are just going to start here in Genesis 1, 25 through 28. And it says this, and God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to, what does it say? Their kinds. And God saw that it was what? Good. And then in verse 26, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, 
so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. In number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So there are two foundational matters that we see just here in these couple verses. And so what we are going to discuss today is number one, the origin of man, and secondly, man's nature. And so let's talk about the first is the origin of man. The creation of man is from God. God created each one of us. If you look there in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fishes of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and the wild animals and all the living creatures that move along the ground. At the very beginning of the Bible, in the first chapter, we see that God began to create and there was nothing. To, to be brief, when it comes to creation as a whole, I'd just like to mention something from Strong's uh, Systematic Theology. And he says this, Creation is not a fashioning of pre-existing materials or an emanation from the substance of a deity, but it is making, it is the making of that to exist which once did not exist, either in form or substance. Now you might think I'm splitting hairs here, but um, what Strong is basically saying and what other theologians are saying and agree upon is that God did not create something out of nothing. Rather, God made that which did not exist to exist. He made that which did not appear to appear. God did not use any pre-existing material when he created the world. Do you understand kind of what I'm trying to get at? Um, the question for evolutionists is, is they say, you know, there was this big bang and then kind of everything got scattered. Well, the question is, is where did all that material come from? Right? Where did all that material come from? And what this theologian is saying, what God is saying at the very beginning of creation is that there was absolutely nothing. There was no pre-existing material. All of it had to be created. All of it came from absolutely nothing. There was nothing pre-existing in physical form before God made anything. It's kind of like... Uh, You've probably heard this old joke before, but one day a scientist, a group of scientists got together and decided that humanity had come a long way and that they needed God no more. And so they picked a scientist to go up to God and say, hey, listen, uh, God, we, don't not, no, we no longer need you anymore. Uh, we can split atoms. We can manipulate atoms. We can build molecules. We can fly through space. We can clone people. 
And so if you don't mind, you can just go ahead and leave and mind your own business. We don't need you anymore. And God listened patiently to this man and heard all of his arguments. And after the scientist was done presenting his arguments, saying, God, we don't need you anymore, God said, all right, that's a good deal. Sounds good to me. Tell you what, how about we do this? Before I leave, let's have a human-making contest. To which the scientist said, yeah, I can do that. No problem whatsoever. And God said, well, hey, listen, if you agree to that, let's do it like I did it back in the old days. Let's do it back in the day when I made Adam. And the scientist nodded and he said, absolutely, no problem. And so then he bent down and he picked up a handful of dirt and God wagged his finger at the scientist and said, oh, no, 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 you put that down. Go find your own dirt. You see, here's what we need to understand. is that God created everything out of absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that's just kind of some food for thought as we look into this. And so when you go and you look into the creation of man, God created, He created the heavens, He created the earth, He created light, He created all of these things. He created the water, the land, the dirt, the animals, all that stuff. And he created man. When you look at the creation of man, really, there are several other camps other than just that of creation. God spoke it into existence. If we believe that man is a product of evolution, which, by the way, they are teaching that in schools today, then if you teach that man is a product of evolution, then the extent of the effects of sin and what they are here in our lives and the need for a savior is eliminated. If you believe in evolution, then there is no need for sin. There is no need to call right, right and wrong, wrong. And there is no need for a savior. Man becomes a master of his own fate and is completely at the mercy of fate. In other words, if you believe in evolution, then there is no need for a savior because sin is just something made up. Morality is just something made up. There is no God and there is no need for a God. I mean, it doesn't really matter. This whole concept of marriage, being faithful to your wife and all of that stuff, if you're an evolutionist, that doesn't really matter. There are, there are no morals. There is no morality. I just kind of want to point out, look at the direction we're going with our world. Look at the direction just simply America is going. What are they teaching in school? They're teaching in schools evolution. I just kind of want to point out, if you believe that you came from an animal, guess what? You're going to act like an animal. You are. And look at our society today. Look at what people are doing. Look at how people are treating each other. There are no standards. Now, there are some Christians that believe in something called theistic evolution. And in a nutshell, what is believed in theistic evolution is simply this, is that, well, God kind of created everything, but then He kind of allowed 
things to grow and develop and evolve. And at certain points in time, God came down and just kind of mixed it up a little bit. He intervened and caused things to grow, to change, to do uh, certain things. It's kind of the, 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 the muck is there and then God kind of arranged all the molecules and made it happen and then out of that you know a, a fish swam out of the water and then turned into a lizard and it's because of God he just kind of touched things along the way there are some Christians that believe in theistic evolution there might be several guys in this room that believe in theistic evolution but there is a problem with believing in theistic evolution and there are two major problems with that the first is that is the doctrine and the personhood of Christ is undermined. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the personhood of Christ in the union between uh, uh, Jesus and human flesh, the union between deity and human flesh. And the idea of evolution and theistic evolution undermines the very foundation of our Salvation. Uh, evolutionist uh, uh, Homer the Firth uh, discusses the incompatibility of Jesus' incarnation with evolutionary thought. And he says this, Consideration of evolution inevitably forces us to a critical review of Christian formulation. This clearly holds for the central Christian concept of the incarnation of God, the, absol uh, the absoluteness with which the event in Bethlehem has come to now has been regarded in Christian philosophy is contrary to the identification of this man who personifies this event, meaning Jesus, with man having the nature of homo sapiens. Here's what DeFerth is basically saying. What he is saying is, is that if Jesus came to us, okay, if Jesus came to us as God in human flesh, and we believe in theistic evolution, then that means that when Jesus Christ came, he was not 100% human because he skipped the evolutionary process. Y'all with me on that? Y'all tracking? So in other words, if Jesus shows up, okay, and we believe that, that, that we have evolved, then guess what? That means that Jesus is not 100%. And here's, here's another issue with that is if we are continuing to evolve, if you believe in this, if you, we are continuing to evolve and to change, then guess what the other problem is? Is that Jesus... When he died 2,000 years ago, only died for those that were like him. Well, if we're different 2,000 years later than the guys 2,000 years before us, then guess what? Jesus only died for the people back then, not for us here today. You know why? Because we're not like Jesus and Jesus is not like us. You know why? Because we're different. We're different evolutionary. We're different. Okay. And so it doesn't make sense. Theistic evolution does not make sense. But it also messes with the doctrine of atonement, what Christ did on the cross. Basically, it makes it 
a myth. Theistic evolution does not acknowledge that Adam was the first man because we do not know who the first man was, nor that he was created directly from the dust of the ground, as it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Hence, Adam would be considered, would be considered a myth by all standards. Most theistic evolutionists regard the creation account as being merely a mythical tale, albeit with some spiritual significance. However, the sinner, Adam, and the Savior, Jesus, are linked in Scripture in Romans chapter 15, verses 16 through 18. Thus, any theological view which makes Adam a myth undermines the biblical basis of Jesus' work for redemption. So we have to believe either Adam really was a single man that God created from the very beginning or not. And so we have a choice. We can either believe what Scripture says or not. When you begin to add some of these worldly things and worldly views into Scripture, you begin to see real quickly how theology begins to break down, how all of the doctrines begin to break down, and how things do not make sense. And so at the very beginning of talking about this doctrine, I mentioned that the foundation of everything that we believe comes from what we believe about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Everything is built upon that. And so if you can now begin to see as we move, forward in learning and opening up scripture and talking about these different doctrines, you see that evolution and theistic evolution, we cannot find those things in scripture. And that's what makes scripture consistent and what makes scripture solid. When you look at Genesis 1-1 and you go all the way through to the book of Revelations, scripture is consistent and solid in everything that it says it does not deviate. Isn't that great? Now we might have some questions. We may not understand it all, but I tell you what, God did not leave any holes in it. We know and we can understand as best we can from our human understanding and perspective. So we believe that God created man. And with it, it carries this idea of being responsible and being moral. Man is no longer the master of his fate. No longer is fate part of our lives. But rather, it is about the mercies of God. Rather, it is about God and his sovereign control in this world. We find several things concerning God's creation of man specifically. Um, God created man distinctly from everything else. Isn't that great? He created man distinctly from everything else. If you look there in verse 25, God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the living creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make 
mankind in our image, in our likeness. God created all living things, but it is man that is created and made from the image of God. Do you see the Trinity in there? Do you see the Trinity where God said, let us, let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we are distinct from everything else. This can also be seen in uh, Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 16. You were created, you for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Uh, I, I just kind of want to point this out, but if you go back and you read the, the creation account, God spoke everything into existence. Okay, He spoke everything into existence. But when it came to man, He formed us. Hmm? He took His time. The birds of the air, he spoke into existence. The animals, he spoke into existence. Light, he spoke into existence. But when it came to man, he formed us. When you read in Psalms, what did he do? I love that word. He knit us together. What did he do? He took, God took some time creating you. To say that God does not care, yes he does. Why? Because he took time to put you together. And to make you the way that you are. To say that God does not love you is blasphemy, guys. He took the time to make you. And the things that you make, gentlemen, you love, do you not? The things that you make. You build something, you call your wife in, hey, look at that. Didn't I do a great job? And she might be like, well, I don't know. It's kind of lopsided, and you'll be like, no, it's not as fine. It's great. Look at it. Look at how awesome it is. Right? Man, God knit you together, gentlemen, each one of you. He took the time to form you. You are handcrafted, original, one of the kind. You might say, well, I got an identical brother. Hey, guess what? Identical twins are even different. God made you and he knit you together. He formed you and he took his time with you. Wow. I like what Job 33, 4 says. The spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. We also see that God did give us a soul. If you read there in Job 33, verse 4, you see that the breath of the almighty gives me life. When you look in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses uh, four through five, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works for God prepared in advance for us to do. Genesis two, chapter uh, 
chapter 2, verse 7, Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. If you remember, last week we talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit and how he gives life. When present and when he is not present, when the Holy Spirit is not present, life ceases to exist. Human beings have never been spoken into existence. A cow, a bird, an alligator, a fish, Mr. Fluffy, your cat, or Fido, your dog, they were all spoken into into existence. Gentlemen, human beings... We were made by the very hands of God. God has breathed life into us. And that leads us to kind of the next kind of subthought in this, in, in this main point is that human beings were created from a definite pre-existing pattern. We were created from a pre-existing pattern. Genesis 1.26, what does it say? Then God said, let us make mankind in whose image? Our image. There is a pre-existing pattern. Let's make man in our likeness. Genesis chapter 5 verses 1 through 2. This is the, the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and named them mankind when he when they were created. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. A man ought not cover his head since he is in the image and the glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. James 3, 8 and 9. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise the Lord our, uh, our Father. And with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness and one of the one of the reasons why uh, racism is so wrong is because each man woman child on this earth is created in his image and when you hate a different race gentlemen i'm just going to tell you this you are hating the very image and the very likeness of god i just kind of want to point that out So there is a pattern each one of us are molded after. And that pattern is God himself. That pattern is God himself. We are molded after an eternal creator. And this leads us to our next thought, which is this. Man's nature was originally perfect, but currently fallen. So we are created in the image of God. God spoke everything into existence, but when it comes to man... He took time to form each one of us. He took time to form Adam from the dust of the ground. And so when it comes to man's nature, we were originally perfect, but currently we are fallen. To complete our understanding of the doctrine of man, we must spend some time talking about our nature. The single prohibition that was uncomplicated and direct was given to Adam. The man was commanded not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is in Genesis 2, 7 through 9, as well as 15 through 22. 
Adam and Eve lived in an atmosphere of innocence, and there was only one restriction. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we find Satan's appearance. And Eve listens to him as he spoke to her and gave her a message that was appealing and it was exciting. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals, and the Lord God had made, that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat of the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, You may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Here's what I love about this, is we always talk about, hey, you know, Eve ate the piece of fruit, then she handed it to her husband. Eve goes one step, she said, God said, don't even touch it. Don't even touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here is Satan's logic as it follows. If God is good and if he really loves you, he will not hold back anything from you. Love has no restrictions. That's what the devil is saying. That's what the serpent is saying. Hey, listen, if God really loves you, then there are truly no restrictions. And what is he saying? He's saying, basically, I'm going to allow you to have no restrictions. Satan's logic is deductive. Satan's major premise, restrictions are not good. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree from... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. That's his major premise right there. Restrictions are not good. Here is his minor premise. It is God's plan is restrictive. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God said you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And so here comes Satan's conclusion. God's plan is not good. You will not surely die. Straight up lie, right? Straight up lie. But here is what's great. Is he takes that straight up lie and he adds just a little bit of truth to it. Because look at what he says. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Which is true, right? Because what do they find out? They're naked. Okay? God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, there's some truth to that too, because all Adam and Eve right now, they just know what? Good. Tell you what, any good lie has a little bit of truth in it. Okay? Just make a note of that. Any good lie has just a little bit of truth in it. It may not be much, but it is just enough. And that is what the devil uses. He gives her a great lie, but with that lie, he mixes in a little bit of truth. Satan's premise is a lie. God was good to restrict Adam and Eve from the knowledge of evil. 
You know, guys, we do the same thing with our children, do we not? We put boundaries on them. And we put boundaries on them for a reason. We don't do it because we are mean. We do it because what? We love them. We love our children. And because we love our children so much, what do we do? We discipline them. We safeguard them. You don't hand a five-year-old the keys to your car and say, have fun. You say, Justin, that's crazy. Who would do that? I'm sure somebody would. You don't want to do that. And here's the deal. If we love our children, we are going to discipline them. We are going to set up safeguards for them. And what does God do? God loves His creation so much that He puts up safeguards for them. And He says, hey, listen, don't do this. Don't do that. It is not because I don't love you, but rather it is because I love you so much and I want you to be safe. I want you to be safe. God is not a cosmic killjoy. And when we read Scripture, we look at it, and there are people beyond these walls that look at Scripture and they say, man, God just has a whole bunch of rules. I'd rather look at it like this. God loves me so much that He wants to keep me safe. Have you thought about that? God loves you so much, He wants to keep you safe. And so He sent us Scripture, He gave us His Word to keep each one of us safe. As we journey through this world. Once sin entered Adam and Eve, we see a drastic change that occurred through all mankind. Adam's act of disobedience has universal consequences. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world. Now, hopefully this won't go out on podcast. And ladies won't listen to it. But who ate first? The woman. But who does God hold responsible? The man. The man he holds responsible. Gentlemen, I just kind of want to point out here. Guys, you are responsible for your family. You are responsible for your family. So begin to step up to the plate. And lead them. And guide them. And set up those safety things for your family. God will hold you responsible for your family. God held Adam responsible for the sin of the whole world. So, you know, there's always that joke. Guys are around, well, it's, it's Eve's fault. Ha, ha, ha. She's the one that ate the, the, the apple. <laughs> no, God holds us responsible. God held Adam, the man, responsible and there's some weight with that for us, guys. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel the weight of that. God held Adam responsible. So all of us have received the inheritance of Adam, either indirectly or directly from our parents. The inheritance is sin, sinfulness, depression, and death. We are all sinners by choice. Because we are sinful by birth. We are not born good. Everyone says, or there are people out there that says, oh yeah. When we're born, we are born good. 
The answer is, is no, we're not. Psalm chapter 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, in the sin, and in sin my mother conceived me. We were born into sin. Psalm 58, 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. The Minnesota Crime Commission released a statement concerning human nature, and this is fascinating. They say this, every baby starts life as a little savage. And all God's people said, amen. Especially at three in the morning when they wake up crying. Are y'all with me on that? I mean, my kids were crying. I was like, you little... Anyway, he is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy, his uncle's watch. Deny him these wants and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous if he was not so helpless. Y'all with me on that? I'll tell you what, I was at Cain's up in Denison, or not Denison, in Sherman on Saturday. And there's this mom with his two-year-old kid. And this kid comes in and sits down, and I can see he's fussy. And I look at my son, and I said, just wait, it's coming. And kid, what did he want? I looked over, kid wanted a drink, and mom said, no, wait. She put the glass up, and what did he do? I mean, he just like unleashed, and everyone in the whole restaurant went, and we all hated that little two-year-old, all at the same time. He wanted what he wanted right then and there, and he did not care. He is a sinful little savage. This proves my point. This is some sort of independent, secular commission up in Minnesota that looks at criminality, and they looked at human nature, and they concluded the same thing that Scripture has been telling us for centuries. Man is born evil they continue to go on he is dirty he has no morals no knowledge and no skill this means that all children not just certain children all children are born delinquent if permitted to continue in the self-centered world of his infancy given free reign to his impulsive actions to satisfy his wants Every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, or a rapist. Is it fair to say that we have a nature of sinfulness? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says this, Among whom also we, were one, we once conducted ourselves in lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. In short, this is called the doctrine of total depravity. Dr. Ryrie classifies this doctrine for us by stating this. Total depravity does not mean that everyone is as thoroughly deprived in his actions as he could possibly be. Not that everyone would indulge in every sin. Not that a person cannot 
appreciate, and even do acts of goodness. But it does mean that the corruption of sin extends into all men and into all parts of all men so that there is nothing within the nature of man that can give him merit in God's sight. And so what should we do with this? As we look at the doctrine of man, we see that we are created, handcrafted by God. We see that there is a fall and that man chose to follow his own will and not obey the safeguards that God has set up. Gentlemen, we are each born sinful, and that's why Jesus came, because God knew we needed a Savior. We needed Jesus Christ to come. We needed Him to die, but we needed Him to rise three days later to conquer death and sin. Why did Jesus come? He came to save us. And so, gentlemen, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, Thessalonians says, today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, either myself or Sloan's or Justin the Taller, we would love to talk to you about knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, getting your heart right and beginning to follow God and going in the direction He wants you to go, not only in this life, but also in the life of to come. If you want to continue talking about this, I would love to, to do that. Stick around. Uh, if you would like a copy of my notes, I'll be more than happy to forward those to you. Just let me know. Several of you have asked for those notes. Um, but guys, I just want you to go out here into this world just knowing you were handmade, handcrafted by God. That you were born into sin because of Adam. But that God sent His Son because He loved us so much. What does uh, Romans 5.8 say? But God demonstrated His love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God has a plan. And He sent His Son, Jesus, to save us. Let's pray. God, we love You. We thank You for this day. As we go our different directions, God, I pray that we would be uh, men uh, passionate about You, obedient to You. That, Father, we would live in a manner that honors and glorifies you. Um, Father, uh, may we be light in this dark world, salt in this bland life. And Father, may we uh, point men and women to you uh, and to your son, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's men said, y'all have a great day. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org, and we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.